Thank you, choir. Bill, good to have you home. I appreciate you uh, coming and bringing your daughter. I've been saving her for my grandson, so I'm glad that she is, uh, she's here today. It was in the preschool department or the children's department that a teacher was teaching a lesson about Enoch. And uh, she quoted the verse of scripture that said, Enoch walked with God and was not. And then she turned to the class and said, can anyone tell me what that means, that Enoch walked with God and was not? Well, there was a little six-year-old girl who held up her hand and she said, I, I, th I think what it means is that one day Enoch and God went for a walk and they walked and they walked and they walked. And finally, God said to Enoch, Enoch, we are closer to my house than yours. Why don't you come home with me? Well, I think that is the way all of us would like to be. We would ha if we are believers, we would like to have a relationship with God that is so close that we simply walk with him and one day go home with him. The truth is, however, that most of us struggle in our relationship with God. There are ups and downs. We, we don't always do things the way we want to. We don't have that walk with God that we would really like to have, and so we struggle. That was certainly true with much of Jacob's life. Jacob had those ups and downs in his spiritual life. There was the time when he deceived his brother, he deceived his father, and then there was that time in his life when he wrestled with the angel and said, I will not release you unless you bless me. There were those ups and downs. We have ups and downs in our lives, spiritually. And yet because we desire that walk with God, we continue to seek after the Lord. One of the interesting characters in the Bible to me is Josiah. He became king of Judah when he was eight years old. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles, for in the eighth year of his reign, he was 16. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Josiah was a young man, but he had that desire to walk with God, to know God. And so the Bible says that he began to seek the Lord. That was also true of David. In the 63rd Psalm, David wrote, O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. Isn't that what we want as believers? Now, I'm not saying that we are there, but isn't that what we want in our hearts? Well, you might ask the question, can, how can I have that kind of walk? How can I have that relationship with God that I really desire? And if I were to answer with one word, I would say it is faith. The walk with God is a walk in faith. Recently, I was reading in Matthew chapter 8, and as I went through that passage of Scripture, I noticed that there were three different responses of faith. And I want us to look at that today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. Let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Verse 26. And he said to them, why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. So I want to speak to you on the subject of faith, and I, and I think that one of the reasons we have some difficulty in this area is because there are so many different definitions as to what faith is. Our understanding of faith varies. But one thing we would all agree with is that faith has something to do with belief. In fact, that is the definition of the dictionary. The dictionary says that faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Now certainly that is the way the world understands faith, that it is a belief in something for which there is no proof. As a result of that, the world has rejected the idea that God created this world because there's no proof of that. Atheism is growing in our land because there is no proof concerning the existence of God. So according to the world then, faith is a belief in something for which there is no proof. The Bible's definition is a little different from that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Albert Barnes wrote, There is scarcely any verse of the New Testament more important than this, for it states what is the nature of all true faith and is the only definition of it which is attempted in the scriptures. All right, let's see what he says. If this is the only definition or description of faith in the Bible, then let's see what it says. Faith is the assurance. Barnes says the word assurance properly means that which is placed under, then ground, basis, foundation, support. So, what is the author saying then? Faith is the foundation on which we stand. Faith is the ground floor. Faith is the substance on which we build our life. It is beneath us. It is something on which we stand. It is solid. It is foundational. Then he says that it is the conviction of things not seen. The King James Version translates that it is the evidence of things not seen. Here's the way I understand that. As we build our lives on the foundation of faith, as we stand on the foundation of faith, then the experiences of life built on the foundation of faith reveal to us the reality of our faith, that it is the conviction of our faith. So then as I build my life 
on the foundation of faith, the experiences I have reveal the reality of the faith I have. And then the Bible says that from that position, I understand the world. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So when we're talking about faith, faith is believing. But faith in scripture is never passive. It is always active. So if I believe something to be true, then I act on what I believe. Sherwood Eddy wrote, Faith is not trying to believe something regardless of the evidence. Faith is daring to do something regardless of the consequences. If I believe something, then I act on what I believe. Would that be a fair statement? If I believe something to be true, I act on it. Now that's true in science. We like to say that we believe in science. So if I believe in science, then I act on what I believe. For instance, when I travel and you travel, we go to the airport and see the airplane sitting there. I have a ticket. Sometimes I confess, I look at that airplane and I see this enormous fuselage and those two little bitty wings. And I think, I wonder if that thing really will fly. But because I believe it, then I board the airplane. See, I believe something to be true, thus... I act on what I believe. In medical science, if I believe that my doctor is competent, if I believe that my doctor is qualified, then I allow my doctor to put me to sleep, cut my body open, and perform whatever surgery is necessary. You see, if I believe something, then I act on what I believe. But maybe your faith is in yourself. If I have confidence, if I have faith in myself, then I act on what I believe. If I believe, for instance, that I can handle college, then I enroll in college. I go to college. I I believe something, then I act on it. If I believe that I can handle marriage, which is a leap of faith, then I act on what I believe. Ladies and gentlemen, it is no difference with faith in God. If I believe, if I have faith in God, then I act on what he says. Now, here's what the Bible says then. And faith then is pleasing to God. As I live my life in faith, the Bible says that is pleasing to God. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. John Bassanio told me once we were talking and he said, Wendell, God will always force you into a position of faith. He will always make you live your life by faith. Now, sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes I don't enjoy it. 
But because it is impossible to please God apart from faith, then God will always keep you, ladies and gentlemen, in a position where you must live your life by faith because that is pleasing to God. The Bible says that the elders please God by faith in Hebrews 11 too, for by it faith the men of old gain approval. So if I understand correctly the word of God then, now the only way that I'm going to please God to have that kind of walk that I spoke of is if I live a life of faith. Would that not be true? That I live a life, oh, well, no, wait a minute. I have all these things that I can check off, and if I do these things and don't do these things, then that makes me pleasing to God. No, it doesn't say that. It is by faith that I please God when I live a life of faith. Now, as I look at faith, it is believing something, but because I believe, I do something, and because I do, the Bible says that pleases God. Then we see the demonstration of faith that I mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter 8. The leper came to Jesus who had faith that he could in verse number 2. And behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So a leper came to Jesus. Fawcett's Bible dictionary says that there were two forms of leprosy. First of all, there was the tuberculated form. Fawcett wrote the tuberculated form is the common one inflaming the skin, distorting the face and joints, causing the hair of the head or eyebrows to fall off or else turn white. These patients live on the average 10 years. And then he said there is the anesthetic form. Fawcett wrote the anesthetic form begins in the forehead with shining white patches which burst, Bone by bone drops off. The skin is mummy-like. The lips hang down, exposing the teeth and gums. The anesthetic leper lives on average 20 years. So there are two forms of leprosy. This man came to Jesus who had leprosy. It does not tell us the form because that isn't important. What is important here is that in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin. You need to understand that, that in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin. Joseph Damien was a missionary in the 19th century to the lepers in Hawaii. One morning he got up, was fixing breakfast, and he happened to spill some hot water on his foot. It didn't burn. He didn't feel it. He was concerned immediately because of what it might mean. He poured some more hot water on his foot and didn't feel it. The next Sunday when he went before his congregation to speak, he began, my fellow lepers. And ladies and gentlemen, that is true with all of us. We could begin any address with the words, my fellow sinners, because we all are sinners. The Bible does not treat leprosy as a disease, but as uncleanness. And there are some parallels that can be drawn. First of all, leprosy, like sin, begins very small and then it grows until it overtakes the person. I've been in the ministry long enough to have seen the progression of sin in people's lives and especially unfaithfulness in marriage. And it begins very small, innocently. I, you know... You, you don't have two people who are happily married and 
then one goes out and commits adultery. Maybe it begins with an innocent flirtation. And then from there it can become listening to the problems of someone at work. And then develop into a physical attraction that becomes lust. And then ends in adultery. But what I want you to understand is that sin like leprosy begins as a little spot. It begins small and we end up doing things thinking, how in heaven's name did I get here? How did that happen? Young people, I would especially address you. Be careful with the crowd you choose for your life. Because you can easily get in the wrong crowd and end up somewhere you never planned to go. I say to young people oftentimes when they are about to go to college and they're concerned as to what they're going to find there, I say to them, you're going to find what you look for. And it really doesn't matter. You, you know, sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm going to go to a Christian college and, and, every, every, and I'm going to be protected from this. No, you're not. You think, if you want to find the party crowd, whether you go to a Christian university or you go to the state university, you'll find them there in both places. If you're looking for people who love God, and you take that seriously, whether you go to a Christian university or a state university, you'll find those people because they're there. You're going to find what you're looking for. Sin and leprosy are alike in that they begin very small. But then as time goes by, they dominate your life. So a leper came to Jesus. And Jesus' response to him was one of kindness. In verse number 3, And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Do you understand that with the leper, he lived his life in isolation? In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46... It says, he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So understand that with the leper, he was isolated, cut off from his family, cut off from his friends, cut off from society. He lived an isolated life. That was the leper that was required by the law. He came to Jesus and the Bible says that Jesus touched him. How long had it been since that man had been touched by another human being? How long since he had felt the warmth of another human being's touch? And yet the Bible says that Jesus touched him. You know, folks, that is... One of the characteristics of the Lord that got him in trouble a lot of times. He was willing to reach out to sinners. Sometimes we like to isolate ourselves. And I hope you understand when I was talking about the crowd that you get into. I'm talking about friendships and relationships that you form there. But we should always understand our responsibility to reach out in the name of Jesus to those who are lost. Jesus was always willing to touch sinners, and he touched 
this leper. There was power in his touch. In verse number 3, he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Matthew Henry wrote, Both a power of authority and a power of energy are exerted in this word. So, as I looked at this passage of Scripture, I saw this leper, first of all, who had faith that he could. Jesus, you can make me whole. He had faith that he could. And then I saw the centurion who had faith that he would. Verse number 13. Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Now the centurion came to Jesus because he had a servant who was paralyzed and in great pain. And so he came to Jesus and addressed Jesus in verse number 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is like paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. When this man came to Jesus, he called him Lord. The Greek to English lexicon says the Greek term Lord refers to one who exercises supernatural authority over mankind. Matthew Henry said the greatest of men must turn beggars when they have to do with Christ. He came to him calling him Lord. You know, the, Jesus is a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And the Bible says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But my friend, he is God. And we need to always remember that he is God. This man came to Jesus calling him Lord. He came in humility in verse number 7. He said to him, I will, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, though this was a respected officer, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. There's that incredible humility. Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. But he had faith. Look at verse number 8b. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus, distance does not separate you. Distance does not confine you. Matthew Henry wrote this centurion believed and it is undoubtedly true that the power of Christ knows no limits and therefore nearness and distance are alike to him. Aren't you glad? Some of you have loved ones and friends and so forth in other places. And they have needs. Distance is no problem for the Lord. Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. He said, you just speak the word. That's enough. You just say the word. My servant will be healed. That's all you have to do. Just say the word. My servant. Listen, he who spoke the world into existence can speak and the servant would be healed. All you have to do is speak the word. He believed that Jesus could and would heal his servant. Then there's the third response, that of the disciples in verse number 26. And he said to them, why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Now, you know the story. Jesus and the disciples were in a boat together. They were out in the sea, and while they were in the sea, there was a storm that came up. The, the disciples were fearful for their life, and uh, so they went to Jesus saying, Lord, don't you care that we are about to drown out here? And Jesus rebuked the disciples. Matthew Henry said, he does not chide them. And I like this, listen. He does not chide them for disturbing him with their prayers. 
but for disturbing themselves with their fears. That's pretty good, isn't it? He did not chide them for disturbing him with their prayers, but for disturbing themselves with their fears. Because we have not been called to a life of fear, we have been called to a life of faith. So Jesus began by rebuking the disciples and then he rebuked the wind, which was an easy thing to do. He simply spoke the word. It was effective. The scripture says that the sea became calm. There were the demonstrations of faith. The leper who believed that he could, the centurion who believed that he would, and the disciples who had little faith. Now, faith is to be the foundation on which we build our lives. That is the walk. If I'm going to have this relationship with Christ that I desire, if you're going to have the relationship that you desire, then the foundation on which we walk is a foundation of faith. And that was the foundation for those listed in Hebrews 11. Now you read through Hebrews 11, you'll find those people are not there because of holy living. They were there because of their faith. And the scripture says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now that was those in Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says that they did not receive the promises, but they saw them. How did they see them? How did they see them? Through eyes of faith. Jesus said in, in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see Jesus' day? Abraham had been dead for years before Jesus came. How did he see it? Through eyes of faith. And the Bible says because they saw through eyes of faith, they welcomed the fulfillment of God's promises. Augustine wrote, faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. One of the things that impresses me in that verse is that they confessed who they were, they understood who they were, that they were strangers. That's what it says. They were str- you know why this world sometimes feels strange to you? And doesn't it feel strange to you as a As a believer in Christ, a believer in the Word of God, doesn't it sometimes feel strange to you? You know why? Because you're a stranger here. That's what Abraham said, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. They were exiles. They saw themselves as exiles. Ladies and gentlemen, as believers, we need to understand this is not our home. And so when you try to be comfortable in this world, you must understand that you are a stranger here, that we are exiles here. So let me conclude. Talk about faith. Faith believes. And that is true with salvation. It it means that I believe that he can save me, forgive me of sin. Bill, I love the song. You sang that. I'm a new person redeemed. It is the belief that he can save me and he will save me when I put my faith in him because the Bible declares whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So faith believes, but faith acts. 
It is not passive. I can illustrate it very quickly this way. When my son Eric was small, I used to put him up on the refrigerator or cabinet or somewhere, you know, like dads do. And he would be up there just a little bitty child, toddler thing. I'd put him up there and I'd say, son, jump to daddy and I'll catch you. And he'd look down at me and he'd say, uh-uh. I said, don't you believe daddy will catch you? Uh-huh. Well, then jump to me and I'll catch you. Uh-uh. And we'd go back and forth like that for a good while. And after a while, he'd just fall off. Now, while he was up there, he said, daddy, I believe that you will catch me. But when did he trust me? When he jumped. That's what faith is. See, it's one thing to say, God, I believe in you, I believe this in you, but it doesn't really become faith until you jump. That's when it's real. Have you ever jumped? Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, I believe you paid for my sins, but have you ever committed your life to him? Lord, now I trust you. Then that's what I'm asking you to do today. Our gracious Father, I pray that as we consider the subject of faith that we'll understand it and Lord today for those who have never put their faith in you that they would do so be forgiven become a child of God Lord I just pray that you'll give them the courage and the willingness to do that today in Jesus name amen so just a moment we're going to stand the choir's going to sing as they sing we extend an invitation if you've never trusted Christ that you've come to receive him if you're looking for a church home